Over the next few weeks, we're going to be teaching through a series on miracles. Uh, We're going to be exploring the ways that God has shown his faithfulness and power to his people through the ages by using stories from scripture, um, as well as testimonies from our own church family. Each week, one person from our church will be taking a few minutes to share their story from their own lives where God has worked a miracle. We are hoping that this will be a time for the Holy Spirit to encourage us and to remind us of his awesome power in us um, and throughout the world as well. We're believing that through these next few weeks, um, God will increase our hope and he'll increase our faith as we trust him to do the things that we know only he can do. Amen. So, guys, please help me welcome up um, the person who's going to be sharing their first testimony this morning, Gabby Zinner. As we prepare our hearts to hear her story, um, we want to invite the Holy Spirit um, into this situation, um, into this moment. Um, sharing our testimonies, I believe, is, is, a, is it's holy. Um, we get to hear what God is doing in our lives now. Not, not, a, not a God who was just doing things 2,000 years ago, not a God who was doing things 1,000 years ago, but a God who's doing things today, who's doing miracles today, who's healing today, who's restoring relationships today. Um, and this morning we get to hear uh, how God is still active um, in the world, but also within our family. Um, so we're going to pray for Gabby as she shares with us. Um, if you guys could do me a favor, extend a hand out. Um, and we're just going to pray for her. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for Gabby and all the work that you've done in her life. God, I just want to invite you into this moment, Lord, that you will prepare our hearts to hear from you, to be encouraged from you. Thank you for giving Gabby the courage to speak out and to share how faithful and loving and graceful you are, Lord. We thank you so much. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Test. Hey, everyone. Um, uh, thank you so much to the GC leaders um, here that uh, they thought me speaking for the first one uh, was a great way to launch uh, the Miracle Series. And so um, thank you. And uh, this is a story that I lived, and I hope it inspires you all. Um, But here we go. Uh, So I was diagnosed when I was three years old with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Uh, This was after getting a second opinion of being misdiagnosed with having a behavior disorder. Uh, Because as it turns out, I was acting out uh, because I wasn't feeling very good. Go figure. Um, But upon my correct diagnosis, I was immediately airlifted to Seattle, 350 miles away from my hometown in Idaho, so I could begin cancer treatment that day. When my parents heard that I had leukemia, they were devastated. You see, my mother's dad had just passed away the year prior to leukemia. She had grown up Catholic, but had not been practicing in her adult years. But still reeling from the loss of her beloved dad, she was desperate in that moment. And she pled with God and made a deal with him. 
She prayed that if he rescued her daughter from this disease and did not have the same fate as my grandpa Stan, uh, that in exchange she would give her life back to him. So, uh, more than 25 years ago, I'm in my 30s now, uh, children with leukemia did not have a good outcome of survival. And of the ones that did, 80% of survivors developed a chronic condition due to treatment. My protocol took two years of chemotherapy and there were several instances where my condition was touch and go. Even surviving a 72 hour period where my heart rate exceeded 200 beats per minute due to a response to a chemo treatment. That would be like going to Orange Theory, that terrible place with the treadmills and getting on one of those at max heart rate for three days. I should have died of a heart attack on the first day. Definitely the second, but by God's grace, I made it through the third day. I only had one complication. I grew up to be too short. I was supposed to be 6'1", you know, where you do the uh, double the size if you're like age two or whatever. And so I was supposed to be 6'1". My dad was stoked. He was finally going to have a professional athlete in the family. Um, But instead, I'm the runt of the family. (laughs) But it's the chemo that stunted my growth. Uh, But the real miracle in this story is that God rescued my mother's faith so that our family would grow up to know him and be in the church. We ended up going to the church that the original doctor who got my correct diagnosis went to. Full circle. But he never gives up on his children, and he desperately wants to heal our hearts. And to that end, he was faithful to my mom and her faith was restored, her heart was healed. But even though this terrible thing happened to me and my family, I am confident and feel loved because I'm reminded that God loves me just so much too. Uh, He he healed my chemo port, so the place where I accepted the chemo treatment um, in the shape of a scar, or my scar was in the shape of a heart. Like how beautiful is that? The physician stopped following me in my case when I entered high school, and there have been no complications since. And honestly, the glory is all God's. Um, But your moms all love you. Give her a hug. (laughs) Um, So that's my story. And um, Ben, if you wouldn't mind coming up. Thank you, Gabby. You put that right there. Wow, thank you, Gabby. Should we just pray and go home, you guys? God never gives up on his children, and he wants to heal our hearts. I think that's true. That's beautiful, Gabby. Thank you. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, you're present with your people right now. You're present in Gabby and Gabby's story. Thank you for um, using her story in this moment to remind us who you are and what you're like. Jesus, we turn to you. We look to you. Teach us. Speak to us. Begin to work miracles, surprising miracles, um, miracles that we've asked for and miracles that we haven't asked for. Begin to pour out your spirit on your people. 
that we could not only be closer to you and closer to each other, but ultimately more like you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In your name, amen. Um, the Miracles series. We begin the Miracles series today. Oh, what a great day. We're going to talk about miracles. Um, what a great way to start with Gabby's story. We're going to hear more stories as we go through the coming weeks. And Oh, this is a wobbly table. Cool. And, uh, and I think it's going to be really exciting to hear different uh, kinds of miracles, different stories about miracles, and then to look in the scriptures and see all the different like wonder workings of God throughout the scriptures. And today we're going to look at a story, a very famous story in 2 Kings chapter 4. And if you're used to, if you've been here a while and you're used to me preaching, you know I never use slides. So you're going to want to pull out your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4 or turn on your Bible or like flip to it in your mind or I don't know how you'd read the Bible, but... Uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, um, but before I read anything from there, um, can I just confess something to you? Can I just be really honest? Had um, Simon and Shirley or anyone come to me and said, hey Ben, would you give a miracle testimony um, on a Sunday morning? Um, I would have really struggled to do that. I would have really struggled to do that. Um, I know people uh, in my, not my immediate circle, but maybe like one circle out, like people who know people who have seen or been present for like miraculous healings where someone like who couldn't walk suddenly walked or someone who had like a terminal diagnosis was suddenly healed. I've heard stories like Gabby's in church and it's incredible and I, I just love hearing them. Um, I know people who have had like miraculous moments where they're out of money and then suddenly there's enough money and m someone gives them money or money appears on their doorstep or whatever. I know these stories. Um, I have never experienced this sort of dramatic, undeniable, miraculous experience in my life. Never. It, it, when, when we talked about doing the miracle series, for a moment I sort of like sunk back in my chair and I was like, oh no. Because I, 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 um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear the miracle stories um, and I hear incredible stories like Gabby's, I'm like, oh, thank God. Praise God. God is so good. God can do so many amazing things. And then, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> totally, totally, absolutely. And then I, then I think, why haven't I seen God move like that in my life? Huh. Am I not spiritual in some way? And I don't know about you, but sometimes when we talk about miracles, I can wonder, like, if I'm missing something. And then I start, like, looking in the scriptures and seeing how the miracles of the, of the scriptures work and, and sort of how God moves in signs and wonders in the scriptures. And I start to realize that in the Bible, there are all kinds of different uh, actings of God, moments where God moves in a supernatural way. And some of them are really dramatic. They're like, they're like a healing. They're like angels coming through the ceiling. They're like a really intense, beautiful moment. And sometimes they're, they're quite subtle and easy to miss. And sometimes the miracles of God don't come the way we would expect them to. And I find great comfort in that. So if you're like me, I don't say this to like, to like self-deprecate or anything. If, I'm just saying if you're like me um, and you wonder, have I seen miracles? Have I seen God move in this way? And if not, is something wrong with me and my faith? I just want to encourage you, like miracles are for everyone. And um, if we have eyes to see, I believe we will see the supernatural power of God in our stories just as much as the stories we hear from the stage. 
And, uh, and, and this is an example of, of a story like that. This is 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through verse 7. And um, I, uh, I'm just going to read those seven verses, and then we'll sort of unpack it for a little bit together. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your servant has nothing except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And uh, when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him, and she shut the door behind herself and her sons, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were all full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And then the oil stopped flowing. She came, to the man, uh, she came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. <clears throat> so this is a woman, and her husband is a man of God. And, uh, and he dies. And in that day, that's a very, very dangerous situation. It's, it's, it's a very hard situation in whatever era we live in. It's a very dangerous situation in this time and place. There wasn't really a provision for women at this time to support themselves in any way. And being a widow was really sort of a, uh, a, a sentence of just lifelong destitution. Like, will I be able to survive? If my sons aren't old enough to work and support us, like, what am I going to do? And, uh, and so she comes to the man of God, Elisha, and she says, listen, my husband died. You know he loved God, and, um, I, and I don't know what to do because we have debts, and our creditors, as part of like, paying back our debt, are going to come and take my sons away to be like indentured servants, to be slaves to pay off our debt. I don't know what to do. Can you help me in some way? And so Elisha says, okay, what do you have? And she says, well, I have this little jar of olive oil. Now, olive oil in that day, right, it's, it's quite valuable. It's, it's sort of a, a commodity. They use it for cooking, obviously, like we do, but also for all kinds of, like, cosmetic and soap products. They used it for burning in oil lamps. They use a certain kind of olive oil for purification rituals. It could be quite expensive. So olive oil is quite valuable. She says, I have a little oil. And he says, great, go find as many vessels, borrow as many pots and jars and vessels as you can find. I love that he says, and not too few. Don't like skimp on these. Get as many as you can from your neighbors. Gather them all, and you can imagine just a table of like dozens of empty vessels. And he says, and just begin to pour the oil. So she begins to pour the oil. And she keeps just saying, okay, another vessel. Okay, another one. Okay, another one. And she's just focused right here, just pouring, just pouring, just pouring. And then she says, okay, give me another one. And her son says, that's it. They're all full. And the oil stops flowing. And she looks and she has jar upon jar upon jar upon jar of oil. And she goes and she tells Elisha, okay, now I have all this oil somehow. Miraculously, I have all this oil. What shall I do? He says, sell it. Pay your debts, rescue your sons, and there will be enough left for you all to live on. It's this remarkable story. It's this very quiet miracle. It's sort of a subtle, almost like under the radar kind of miracle. And as I like look through this story, uh, I see a few just different like miracle themes. And I want to point out like four, I came up, you guys, I came up with four S's, 
four, no, five S's, five S words that we're going to talk about today. Um, and, uh, and, and these are just different, like, um, uh, different aspects of miracles, different characteristics of miracles that I see in this story. But as I've, like, sort of scanned it through all the different miracles in the Bible, this, these seem to be pretty common ways that God works in miracles and, and things that are part of the miracles he works. The reason I want to talk about this is because, like I said at the beginning, I, I, I don't always recognize miracles in my life because they're not dramatic, because they don't always, um, I don't immediately go, oh yes, I have a testimony, I have a story to tell, because they're not obvious, I can miss the miraculous workings of God in my life. So I want these five like signposts, these five things to look for, so that when I look at my life, when I look at my day, when I look at my week, when I look at my year, I have these five things to look for when I go, oh, that was God moving. I, I, that, was, that was a miracle. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but this is just what I happen to see in this little story. So the first thing I notice is that this woman is in dire straits. Um, She's as desperate as you can get. She's lost a husband. She has no way forward, no, no way out of her situation. And now... The creditors are coming to take her sons. Like, it, it, you get the sense that they're on the way. Any moment now, my sons will be taken from me. She's desperate. She's afraid. And in this moment of absolute desperation, she cries out to the man of God. And cry, in doing so, she's putting her faith in God himself. And she says, I need help in some way. What she's asking for is deliverance, or the other word the Bible uses is salvation. Salvation. When we talk about salvation, in the Bible, it often um, does mean what we might think of salvation being like eternal salvation. When we hear the word salvation, we almost always think about like being saved from hell, right? Like eternal salvation. But the Bible uses the word salvation almost indiscriminately. The Bible uses the word salvation or deliverance uh, to, to mean any kind of saving in your life. I've been saved from this attitude I couldn't get out of. I have been saved from this moment when this car almost hit me, but it didn't quite hit me. I have been saved from this uh, cold that was really getting in my way at a really important time at work. I have been saved. It's the working of God to rescue us from circumstances we can't get out of on our own. And when I see miracles in the Bible, it's incredible because I see this, this pattern where every possible way, every strategy for working it out is closed to us. It's almost like you just sense the doors closing one by one in some of these stories. Nope can't do that. There's nothing I can do there. I can't fix it this way. I can't solve the problem that way. I have no options left. There is no way out. In Psalm chapter 124, um, it's, a, it's a song of a sense. It's one of the psalms that the, the uh, people of Israel would sing on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year. And, and this is a beautiful psalm. It talks about, um, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel sing. If the Lord had not been on our side, then we would have perished. And like this beautiful like song of deliverance. And then it says near the end, we escaped like a bird from a fowler's snare. And when, uh, when the writer Eugene Peterson comments on this verse, he says uh, that it's, it's like looking around you and the walls are closing in and there is no way out. And then, unaccountably, there is a way out. 
It's that moment of salvation. It's that moment of deliverance when God takes what seems like a hopeless situation, one that I can't solve, one that has no strategies I can put into effect, and he makes an unaccountable way through. This is what happens when um, we fall asleep at night, playing through, or maybe don't sleep at night, playing through the worst case scenario for that thing we have to do tomorrow. And we're just sure it's going to go wrong. And we can't see any way it's going to go right. And there's no way this conversation goes well. And there's no way this meeting is going to work. And there's no way I don't get fired. There's no way out. And then we make it through the next day and we fall asleep that next night. And we're like, oh, I guess things worked out. That's called salvation. That's deliverance. That is God's miraculous power working on our behalf. And so often I miss it because I just go, whew, okay, made it through that one. But that's the salvation of God working in my life. And when I come to a place where I cannot find a way forward or a way out, it's just a perfect circumstance for God to work salvation. Manifold kinds of salvation in my life. I remember one time uh, I was talking to Simon, I think he called me or something, and, uh, or maybe I was talking to him in person, I can't remember, but I was talking to Simon and he was asking me how I was doing and I, there was something I was working through in my life and I was like, yeah, you know, Simon, I just feel like I have no more strategies left to like fix this thing. And he goes, oh, and I was like really like bummed about it. I was like, I've got nothing left to try. And he was like, oh man, what a great place to be. <laughs> because now there's an opportunity to experience the salvation of God. See, this is where I remember that self-help is like an oxymoron, that the very nature of help means it comes from outside, that there is help beyond my circumstances, beyond my vision, and when I can't see a way out, that's when God makes a way out. And so this woman is in dire straits, dire circumstances, and experiences a miracle of salvation. Now, this is a pretty dramatic salvation, saving her from destitution, from starvation, and her sons from slavery. Some, some miracles, in fact, there's a few, a few miracles that are pretty parallel to this. We just looked at one in the book of John in our John series. I say just like it just happened, but it was like last year sometime because it was a long series. But uh, the, uh, the book, the story of Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, you guys remember this one? And, uh, and he, it's pretty similar to this, where like food becomes more food. And he, he like takes bread and fish and he passes it out and they just keep passing it out. And they're like, oh, there's, oh here, you can, I guess there's more. You can keep having more. And it feeds 5,000 people from like five loaves and a couple fish. Remember this story? Um, and that story, it's a similar, it's a very similar story of salvation. It's a very parallel miracle. But what are they being saved from in that story? being really, really hungry. And yet it's still a story of salvation. And I think I miss it in my life sometimes because I'm not in danger of starvation, because I don't have people in my life who are going into slavery, because I don't have these dramatic circumstances all the time. I can miss the salvation of God where he saves me from that car accident, where he saves me from that conversation that could have gone sideways where he saves me from the, the sort of feeling I had in my mind to just start the day with a really negative mindset, but he saved me and brought me into this other mindset for the day. He saves and he saves and he saves and he saves and he is always saving and working his miracles of salvation in our lives if we'll have eyes to see it. It's a good reminder for me. 
The other thing that I notice in this miracle that happens so often, not always, but so often in the Bible. In fact, most of the miracles I could find in the Bible begin or uh, like involved this, this one. Uh, this idea of, of uh, the, the man of God, Elisha, he hears about this woman's plight and he could have done a million things. He could have done, he could have been like, okay, great, I'll take your sons, I'll run away with them, they'll be fine, you figure things out, right? He could have done that. He could have been like, oh, okay, well, let me look into my personal resources and see if I can pay off your debts, right? He could have just asked God for a miracle right then and there. They could have knelt down and prayed that like, the creditors would like suddenly just forget about the debt completely, right? They could have, they could have done a million different things. He could, he could have just like, he could have just prayed right then and there that like she would show up at home and her basement would be flooded with olive oil or that there would be like a pile of money on her porch or something, right? There could have been so many ways that, that Elisha in partnership with God could have solved this thing. But what does he say? He asks her, what do you have in your house? What do you have to work with? Well, all I have is this little bottle of olive oil. I just have this one thing, and it's like the one thing I've got in my house. She has, she has one thing to answer. What do you have in the house? Well, I only have one thing, and it's just oil. We're down to our last resource, and it's this bottle of oil. And he says, great, begin to pour it out. Begin to pour it out. This is similar to the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus says, what do we have? And Peter says, well, there's this boy who has a few loaves and a couple fish, and Jesus says, great, we'll begin there. So often, when God wants to work a miracle in our lives, it begins with what we already have at our disposal. And it begins with our willingness to surrender and obey. It's, it's, the, it's the miracle. That I, I sometimes think that the first miracle God works in our lives, the first thing he does before he does the miraculous sign of salvation, the first miracle is the miracle of surrender. The first miracle is the miracle of getting us to relinquish control, to say, yes, you may use my resources. Yes, I will step out in faith. Yes, I will begin doing the thing you've asked me to do. Did you notice, if I can just like, uh, I, don't want, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna try to like speak to Gabby's story too much because it's Gabby's story, but uh, if I can like pick, pick it apart for just a second. Did you notice in that story, like um, the first miracle God worked was a miracle of surrender with Gabby's mom. This, this moment of I can't, I surrender, and I will do what you require. This woman says, I will, I will begin pouring out the oil. The boy with the loaves and the fish say, I will, I will do, uh, I will give this, this little thing that I have. Uh, in, in another miracle of abundance, that Jesus turning water into wine, it's interesting that he doesn't just like snap his fingers and the jars are full of wine. He says, no, begin here, fill the jars with water. And the servants go, okay. They begin with surrender. What do we have? How can we begin to obey? And then miraculously the thing occurs. The salvation is worked in our lives. And oftentimes I think when I'm asking for a miracle from God, um, I'm, I'm like, wait, I'm like looking. I'm like, is it, is it here yet? Is it, has it come yet? And so often I sense that God is saying, Ben, there are things in front of you to do. Do them. The miracle will find you. The miracle will meet you. There are things in front of you to do. Do them. And salvation will come. I think oftentimes when I think about miracle, I think that I am completely passive in a miracle. Not according to this story. Not according to most of the stories I could find. In fact, all the stories I could find in the scriptures. 
And I could be wrong. Maybe I didn't get them all. I didn't read the entire Bible this week. I'm sorry. But I, I, I sense that God wants us to participate in the miracles because he's not only interested in the salvation of our circumstances, he is interested in the surrender of our hearts. He is interested in intimacy with his children. He is interested, I love, I love that what Gabby said, he, want, he doesn't give up on his children, he wants to heal our hearts. That's what he's interested in doing. And it doesn't mean that he's bargaining with us. It doesn't mean that he's like, well, if you do this, then I'll do this. It means that he is ready to save, but he is not willing for us to experience that salvation of our circumstances without also having that heart connection with him, that that desire to be with him, that willingness to surrender to him. And so when he works a miracle, he often works it in a way that requires our surrender of a specific circumstance, of a specific idea, of a specific thing that we love. When I was reading this this week, I was thinking, what are the things that are most valuable to me in my life? What are the things that are most valuable to me in my life? My favorite things, my most precious things. And would I pour them out to experience the miracle of salvation? Would I pour them out in obedience to God and watch him move in powerful ways? As this woman begins to pour her oil, she is pouring out her most precious, valuable thing. The other thing I noticed here is that um, I love that this woman doesn't, uh, doesn't recognize that all the jars are filled. She's just so focused on filling these jars one at a time. You notice this? And she says, okay, bring me another one. And her son's like, uh, mom, that's all of them. You just did like four dozen jars. Like that, that's, they're empty. They're, there's no more. They're all full. And you get this sense that this woman is so focused on the task in front of her and so focused on just doing what has been asked of her that she doesn't necessarily notice this miracle occur. You know, it's not like, um, it's not like this undeniable miracle occurring in her midst. It doesn't begin to rain olive oil inside her home, right? Wow, we couldn't miss that one, could we? Right? It doesn't begin to well up around her feet. Another one, we couldn't miss that one. It just somehow keeps pouring out of this jar as she just sits and she's, oh, I have enough. Oh, I have enough. Oh, I have enough. And what I find is that so often in the scriptures, um, the miracle comes very subtly. I think another um, way that God loves to work is in the subtle. Not always. Sometimes it's the big, it's the flashy, but I think about the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the story of the wedding feast and the, and the jars of wine, and the, all kinds of different healing stories in the Bible. It comes quite subtly. It comes without big fanfare. It comes in a way where we almost could miss it. And, and there's almost a sense of like the holy mischief or holy playfulness of God as God like works in our lives to, to produce miracles in such a subtle, under-the-radar kind of mischievous way. It's like the person who comes and like leaves a hundred bucks on your door and just like leaves and is like, ha, 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 sneaky. Like they, they're never going to know where it came from, right? What, you guys don't experience that all the time? People don't leave money on your, wow, maybe it's just, that's never happened to me. If you'd like, I do live down the street if anyone is, I can give you my address. Um, 
Yeah, you sense, you sense God like being quite playful with his children as he subtly works salvation. And sometimes it's so subtle that we can, we can miss it. But when I like stop and survey the circumstances of my day or my week or my life, I can begin to see through the power of the Holy Spirit as God guides my mind, I can begin to see how he's been working salvation and I almost missed it. And so often it comes in this, this, this uh, sense of I didn't have enough and yet somehow there was enough. I didn't have a way forward and yet somehow there was a way forward. I didn't have the words to say, and yet somehow the words were said. How did this occur? What's the miracle of God in my life? It's the subtle miracle of God in my life. That, and it's so subtle, it makes me sometimes go, oh yeah, I've, I've actually never seen a miracle in real life. I've never experienced a miracle you know, in, in, in this way. Which is actually not a true statement. It's just that God's movements in our lives, sometimes we have to be given eyes from the Holy Spirit, we have to be given the eyes to see it. Because it's so subtle and so under the radar and so much about God providing what we lack that sometimes we forget in the moment that it's actually God doing the supplying. Um, I love, there's this, uh, this writer I love named Dallas Willard, and he says that God is the God of provision and he always provides enough, and usually right when you need it, not always in advance. This idea that so often I'm going into a situation and I don't have enough. I don't have enough energy to give to it, enough love to give that person. I don't have the words to say in this conversation. I don't have what I need to make it through this situation. And yet somehow when the situation is over, I had enough. And I look at tomorrow and I go, there's no way I can get through tomorrow. Do you know the things coming my way tomorrow? It, I, there's no way. I'm so depleted. I'm so weak. I don't have the wisdom. And yet when I get tomorrow, enough is provided. The help arrives right when I need it, but maybe not before. And that's the miracle of God working in my life. And if, and if I wait to like feel like God is working a miracle or feel the supernatural power of God, I'll never step out in faith, which may, may mean I never experience the power of God meeting me in the moment. With the words I need, with the energy I need, with the love I need, if I wait to feel like I have the power of God, I may never experience the power of God that meets me in the moment. This woman just begins pouring out the oil and very subtly, very subtly, the oil uh, continues to flow. The jars continue to be filled. And when she finally looks up, she realizes that even though everything inside her and around her was screaming, we're stuck, there's not enough, there's nothing we can do, somehow there was enough. And the power of God met her in the moment. I also know, uh, notice in this story that uh, it, it's a miracle of surprise. It's a miracle of surprise. Um, she looks up and she's like, oh, <laughs> I didn't, e wow, I didn't even realize. I didn't even notice. I didn't even, wow, what a surprise. Which is a reminder to me, you know, in every miracle story I've heard from friends and in every miracle story I read in the scriptures, um, it seems to me that, that there's always an element of surprise. Have you noticed this? Uh, if you read the gospel accounts, did you notice, have you noticed that Jesus never heals anybody the same way twice? To one person he says, um, get up and walk. 
To another person, he says, smear this mud on your face. To another person, he says, go bathe in that uh, pool three times. To another, like, he says different things to different people, and, and they do different things in the, in the course of their healing. And it's just a reminder to me that God is a God of surprise, and so often I expect God to like work in, in a very formulaic way, right? Like I hear a story and I go, that's how God works. Got it. And I start expecting that one thing. And if I don't remember that God is a God of surprise, I might actually miss the deliverance that he's bringing my way, right? So I, like, like for example, if I, uh, if I have friends who are going through a difficult time financially and somebody, a dear friend, comes and brings them some money to get through their difficult uh, circumstances, I think, great, so next time I'm in financial difficulty, that's what's gonna happen for me. And I just wait and I pray and I listen, but perhaps the miracle God is working in my circumstance is different than the miracle he worked in their circumstance. Perhaps the, wor- the, the miracle God is working in my circumstance is um, to have uh, my friend Alex Nutter bring me some bread so I have food to eat, right? Which, thank you for the bread, Alex. I'm actually fine. I, I'm not starving. Don't worry, but thank you for the bread. Uh, but perhaps, perhaps, uh, perhaps like the miracle God wants to work in my life is different. And I may not have eyes to see it if I only expect that's the one I saw, that's the one I heard about, that's the miracle I read about, so that's the way it works. So often God's miracles come with an element of surprise. And I want to be open to the surprise. And I don't want to demand the way that God work. I want to give him room to to surprise me, to, to, to blow my expectations out of the water and to provide enough where there was not enough to provide what I need for this circumstance, even though I couldn't see a way out to work this miracle of salvation. And finally, what I notice in this passage is is something um, really simple that I just see in so many of the miracles in the Bible. When people are asking for miracles in the Bible, there seems to be always an element of um, blessing those around them of caring for those around them. So notice this woman desperately doesn't want to lose her sons. Desperately doesn't want to lose her sons. And, um, and Elisha, here's the problem. Oh, you're, you're in debt, you don't want to lose your sons, I understand the problem. And, and he's, he could have just focused on that specific problem. Well, here's how I'll save your sons. Maybe I'll take them away with me, maybe we'll do something to protect them, maybe we'll find a way to pay off your debt just enough. But what he does instead is he, he works this other miracle with, with the help of God in partnership with God. He works this other miracle where not only are her sons protected, but there is enough for her to live on and to take care of her sons. There's this, this reminder to me in this story that God isn't just about the, just in the business of giving us just enough to scrape by by the skin of our teeth and hang on for dear life. Our God is a God of abundance and a God who gives us enough to not only be able to survive, but to be able to take care of the people in our lives, to be able to bless those around us, to to be able to live a life that's not just about survival. God doesn't want his children to live a life that's just about survival. He wants us to recognize salvation, recognize the miracles, recognize the abundance, and be able to provide and share. This is so uh, challenging for me because, um, because I think about 
the way that God works miracles in my life and how I, I'm afraid that there's, okay, there's enough this time, but next time there not, might not be enough, so I need to hoard it, right? It, it, okay, I had enough energy and enough social, enough love to give people, enough whatever. I had enough uh, money to get through. I had enough whatever to get through, but, but there might not be next time, so I better hold it really, really, really close. And I better just take care of me and mine. And I better just make sure that, that like my ducks are in a row and sort of like keep anyone from taking what I've got because who knows if there'll be enough tomorrow. And yet time after time, the miracles God works leave us with enough, not just to scrape by by the skin of our teeth, but to care for those around us and even to bless those around us. And I'm challenged by this because so often the way of Jesus for me, can veer off into this world where I'm doing my spiritual disciplines and I'm doing a lot of self-reflection and I'm doing my journaling and I'm coming to church and it's about how do I feel with God and am I being healed and how do I experience this and is everything okay in me and where am I in? And that's all fine unless that's where it ends. And so often I forget that, that the way of Jesus is super clear. Jesus says, this is what I'm teaching you to do, to love God and love each other. Jesus is interested in his disciples becoming more loving, not just becoming more fulfilled. That's a hard word. Can I say it again and then explain what I mean? Jesus is interested in his disciples becoming more loving, not just becoming more fulfilled. Now, are his disciples fulfilled? Often, often, not always, often. Will his disciples experience great joy and blessing and healing in their own lives? Often. Does he want to give good gifts to his children? Yes. Is his primary interest that we should feel satisfied and fulfilled and heaven, and heaven on earth in every experience of our lives? I think it's better put that his primary interest is that we become more loving in every experience of our lives. And the crazy thing is, as we do that, we experience a fulfillment we could never know otherwise. Simon prayed over me this morning before, Simon was here a little bit ago before he went to preach at another church, um, uh, which is great. It sounded like I was mad about it. I'm not. Good job, Simon. Uh, uh, he prayed over me this morning um, that... Uh, I would experience this morning the truth that it is more blessed to give than receive. You know, Jesus said that. It is more blessed to give than receive. And, it, and I think Jesus meant it. <laughs> like, I, think, I don't think Jesus was just like making a nice thing for us to embroider on pillows. Like, I, think, I think he was serious. I think he was like, no, 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 no. I want to teach you to love, to give, to bless, to welcome to heap blessings on one another, to sacrificially love and pursue each other. I want to teach you to do this, to throw your arms and your lives and your resources wide, wide open. Why? Because I promise you that's what you were made to do. And when you are in survival mode and just how am I gonna get by, it is impossible to do that. 
So he works these miracles in our lives where there's not just enough, there's more than enough. And the temptation for me is to say, finally, I have more than enough. I better put that resource away for later. I better hoard that for later. I better make sure that later I'd still have enough. And Jesus says, no, 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 enough will meet you. Enough will find you. You have enough not because you have it stockpiled somewhere, but because I am with you. That's why you have abundance. That's why you have abundance. And I forget this, you guys. I forget this. And I do my own little spiritual journey to try to get my own spiritual fulfillment. And what I'm doing is beautiful, but it's called spiritual life hacks. It's not called the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is allowing him to bless me so I can be a blessing. The way of Jesus is becoming a more loving, generous, hospitable human being like he was. Like he was. Jesus lived a life, very simple life. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a lot of money. And yet everybody who came into his presence, every person that came into his presence was at home and was provided for. This poor, homeless man lavished the blessings of the kingdom of heaven on people around him and made them feel at home. It's remarkable. That's the pattern of life. Not that we all need to like give up our homes and our jobs or whatever, but that's the pattern of life we are invited to live into. This pattern that says, I have enough because he is enough. And I not only have enough to survive and to get by, I have enough to share. So if I want to recognize the, 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 or the miracles that God is working in my life, I want to look for the salvation of God where there wasn't a way, there wasn't enough, and then suddenly there was a way, there was enough. I want to look for uh, moments where I can surrender, where I can do the thing God's asking me to do even though it feels like there's not enough, even though I'm stepping out in faith even though I don't understand why he wants me to do it, even though I don't want to give up that thing or give up the comfort, even though I don't want to step into the dangerous or difficult situation. I want to notice that God sometimes works subtly, that sometimes I really need his help to see it. I need to ask for the eyes to see the miracles in my life. I want to remember that God works with, uh, in surprising ways, that the way he provided for somebody else might not be the way he wants to provide for me and to allow him to surprise me, to joyously, playfully surprise me in my life. And I want to remember that I am blessed to be of service to other people. It's not just um, for my own fulfillment. The question is never, what can I get? The question is always, who can I give what I've gotten to? Who can I give it away to? How can I, how can I get, can I just share, I wasn't going to share, I'm, I'm so over time, I'm so sorry. I, let me just share one thing. Can I share one more thing? I wasn't going to share this. I'm going to share this. Um, uh, in, in, the book, in, in one of the letters to the Corinthian church, um, the Apostle Paul is talking about raising a collection, like raising, raising money for some missionaries. And, um, and he says that the, church, um, that the church in Philippi was really generous, and, and I want you guys to be generous. He says, but I don't want you to do it begrudgingly. 
I don't want you to do it with a bad attitude. He's like, because God loves a cheerful giver. And if you look at like the Greek of what cheerful giver means, you guys heard that before? God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, we've heard that. that if you look at the Greek of what that, that, that cheerful giver means and look, looks like, it actually means like a hysterical giver, hilarious giver, like throwing our wallets at the wall and laughing about it. Like, like ah, ha, ha, money, take it. You know what I mean? And this, this idea that when I, when I sense, when I begin to see the miracles of God in my life, the salvation he's wrought in my moments of surrender, the subtle, surprising salvation of God, the miraculous enoughness that meets me in the moment, when I begin to see that, my response is this hysterical, hilarious generosity of love, time, resources, where I give and give, and the question is no longer what can I have, or what can I get, or where can I go, or what can I do, but the question is how do I just give more away? I think that's what the miracles of God are meant to lead us to, because here's the ultimate point. The miracles of God are his generosity in our lives. How generous is our God to work these miracles of provision? How, how generous is our God? And these miracles of his generosity are meant, yes, to help us and to make us that kind of generous with the people around us. Can I do something a little odd to finish my sermon today? You guys down for that? It's an interpretive dance. It's not an interpretive dance. Um, uh, I'm going to play you a song on the guitar. Uh, I, I, uh, if you know, if you're from here, if you're from here, you know that um, I do, the, do a lot of the music here. And uh, you know also probably that I've written some of the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings. And this uh, is a song that I wrote a couple years ago and played for Josh and Raya on the, on the porch at my old house. Uh, as I was recording a new album, and they said, oh, you have to put that one on the new album. So it, it is. And uh, it's, this song is um, about everything we've been talking about this morning. Can I play it for you? Is that weird? Maybe a little weird. Something isn't right here, something in my head, when thinking about tomorrow only fills me up with dread, cause Jesus is a fountain of courage and of love, and there will be, 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 there will be enough. And maybe you won't feel it as you're marching off to war, but help will find you when you need it, and maybe not before. Because a Father reigns in heaven whose name is also love, and there will be, 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 there will be enough. Oh. When this life just hurts I'll remember how you taught me to pray With few and simple words Just manna and mercy for today 
If you feel forsaken and if you start to feel forlorn, just think about the master, see him sleeping through the storm, because he knows the waves around you still obey the voice of love. There will be, 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 there will be enough. I want to remind us this morning that the miracles of God in our lives, um, and the worship team can come up as I'm finishing up here, the miracles of God in our lives meet us in these unexpected, very subtle moments of provision. There's not always enough. We don't always feel like there's enough. But in the moment of our desperation, God seems to find a way to provide. And it's not always obvious, it's not always, um, it's not always passive, where we don't have to do anything. But as we follow him and trust and obey, he does pour his blessing into our lives. He does bring us what we need. He does not leave us as orphans, like he says. I do not leave you as orphans. But he provides abundantly so that we can share and provide and bless abundantly to the people around us. There's a, no more obvious place where God worked this miracle of salvation that's wrought by our surrender. There's no more obvious place that God worked this surprising miracle and this miracle that invites us to be of service to others. There's no other place that God worked this miracle so profoundly as on the cross when the broken body of Jesus and his blood spilt for us worked the miracle of salvation, where our whole lives were redeemed. And we weren't only saved from this circumstance or this, this thing that could have gone really wrong. We weren't saved only from that. We were, our whole lives were redeemed. So if we wanna to begin to receive the miracles of God in our lives and see where God is moving in our lives, we would do well to begin with the miracle of the salvation God brought us on the cross. So, of course, this morning, like we often do, we're going to take communion. It's something Jesus told us to do. He said um, that as often as you do this, remember me. Don't do this just to do this, but do this to remember me. And take the bread, let it represent the body, and let, take, take the blood and let it represent, or take the, the, the uh, juice, let it represent the blood. And he, he says to ingest these things as a way of receiving his provision receiving his salvation, receiving the enoughness, receiving all that he wants to provide for us. Because when we receive it, we have the potential to give it. So this morning we are gonna do communion. Um, if you need gluten-free, it's on this side over here, my left, your right. And uh, as you're ready, um, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's no like shame about staying in your seat here, but as you're ready, you can come up to the table and you can get a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and, um, and take a moment, though. I would encourage you to take a moment and just acknowledge to God. Acknowledge to God. God, you have worked miracles in my life, miracles of provision, where there was no way out and you made a way out, where there wasn't enough and you made enough. You have worked miracles in my life by the thousands. 
And I acknowledge that. And I ask for eyes to see it. And I ask for more. It's okay to ask for more. But take a moment to acknowledge just how miraculously good God has been in our lives. And if, if you have nothing else that comes to mind, which is totally fine, let's at least give him praise and honor and glory and thanks for the miracle of what he's done on our behalf on the cross. Yeah? Let me pray. Jesus, so many things to think about as we think about miracles. Um, I just ask, Lord, in all my weird ramblings and my backwards and forwards and sideways, that you would, um, you would begin to help us look for miracles and uncover miracles and look under the rocks of our lives and see what's under there and actually see that um, you are moving. Would, would you help us just to see that you are working miracles in our lives, that you have, that you are, and that you will continue to? We just want to see you working, God. We want to see you moving. Surprise us save us. Help us be of service to each other. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross on our behalf, the great miracle. We bless you for that. Amen.